All right. Good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is, wherever you are in the world. Uh, we here at Double Springs Church of Christ at 3.35 Wednesday afternoon are having a pretty nice day outside today. Um, we pray for this good weather to continue at least for a little while until it opens up and rains again this weekend. Neil, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Sorry to hear you with another sinus infection. Yep, yep. I was just telling Neil about that, and I'm all hyped up on steroids and feeling pretty good, so we're just going to push through and keep on doing because the world does not stop turning for a stuffy nose. That's true. Glad I moved my truck out of the way. I might have parked too close to the corner myself. There's a giant <laughs> trash truck just came around the building, but we'll hope that they can navigate it well enough. Um, Neil, why don't you start by telling us where all we were this past weekend as UCOM was out preaching and where we're planning on going this coming Sunday. All right. This past uh, weekend, the 4th, we had you at Richmond Chapel. AC was at Beach Grove. Michael McCormick was at Hurricane. I was at Chestnut Mound, and Dennis uh, Hood was at Mayland. This coming Sunday, February the 11th, Jackson Whitson will be covering Free State for us. Uh, Brother Kenneth Anderson has taken care of Beach Grove for us. AC is going to Hurricane, and I will be at Mayland. What? I don't have you somewhere? No. (laughs) Listen, I offered offered to, to maybe go to Free State if you yeah. couldn't find anybody, but I, I'm, I'm really glad Jackson is uh, continuing to be involved. I think I think a lot of him and his family, and uh, I think he's got a lot to do for the Lord. I do too. He's got a lot to offer, and he was very excited about get, getting to go to Free State. You know, Brad Gall yes. goes with them. <clears throat> on the mission, mission trip that trips. they do at uh, Mexico. So he's he's developed a relationship with Brad, and he was really excited to get to go worship with them, and, and that cool. was good to see. That's cool. I love Brad and Sarah and, and their family too. I I preached at Free State for many years. Yes, you three, did. Three, three, or f- three years or so, I think. I'm bad at math. But, uh, yeah, it started out I was there every other Sunday wow. for the first year or so. And then uh, other people needed help preaching, so I had to back down to once a month. Um, but I've become well acquainted with the people there. There's, there's a lot of great people at, at Free State, and I, I love that congregation dearly. Um, but yes, a lot of good work being done. Um, I just want to, of course, continue to encourage you to as listeners to pray for all these guys, but especially the younger ones as yes. they um, yes. get involved and get more experience. I know it's encouraging to them to get the opportunity, but it's it's encouraging to them to, to hear from you. So if you see Jackson or, or just reach out to him and tell oh, him absolutely. you're praying for him. Yes. That means a lot to us. Well, you know, a lot of these guys uh, that, that we have, are not what you would call, definitely not what you call your traditional preacher. Yeah. They are guys that have just, they, they've got a love for the Lord and, and they know there's a need out there and they're willing to fill it. Of course, Brother Kenneth 
was a full-time preacher for many, many, many years, and he helps us out at any time. But you got guys like um, AC and um, Dennis Hood. You know, they they've just been Christians, and they've decided, you know what, I I can do this, and they've stepped up, and and they're they're presenting these lessons, and we certainly appreciate them for doing that. Well, what you got on the agenda today? What do you think? Well. Neil, we've talked about a couple things. Uh, I, I didn't have anything come to mind today because I have been drowning with my secular work. I say secular work, funnily enough, I mean, I do work for Lifeway, so it's technically Christ-centered. Right. But uh, I've been deep in thought about some new things that are happening there. Well, um, we're about an hour later than we normally are. Yes, so. because I got hung up in several meetings and then conversations afterward hey you got a minute after this meeting to to talk about this and i remember those days oh yeah it's it's there's there's been a lot going on it's all it's all good things uh things that have probably long been overdue to happen um but i'm, I'm just glad that the lord has allowed me to be a part of those things um so you told me you've been looking at revelation and studying revelation and i think you've got something on your mind so let's yeah let's I've talk been, about uh, it i've been Kind of steaming over this for a while, and there's there's a lot of uh, I don't even want to say mystery. People make a lot of mystery out of Revelation that, in its original context, didn't really exist. I mean, there's a lot of imagery that's kind of it sounds crazy, but the people that John was writing to would have understood what he was talking about, right? Absolutely. Um, but especially if you look at chapters two and and chapters chapters two and three, where Jesus through John is is writing letters to these churches um, in what is now modern day Turkey. Um, there's there's one thing that really stuck out to me when I was studying these two chapters and, and studying those letters. There is. Each of them have good things that they're doing, things that the Lord commends them for and encourages them to keep doing. But there's also, each of them also have their own problems, right? They all sound like a very typical church, right? I don't think any body of believers that you go to is going to be absolutely perfect because where there are people, there are imperfections. Absolutely. But that being said, the first letter that is written in chapter 2 is to the church in Ephesus. And out of all of these letters, the punishment, at least as I read these letters, is most severe if Ephesus doesn't fix the problem that they have. And if you're listening and you have your Bibles, and I hope you followed, have followed us to Revelation chapter 2, all the way in the back of your Bible, it's the very last book. Just flip to the back and start going from there. In verse number 5 of Revelation chapter 2, listen to what Jesus says. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. They are serious. They are the only church that Jesus threatens with having their lampstand removed 
or snuffed out in other uh, translations. Can you imagine being told that you will no longer exist as part of my body? I no longer recognize you. And, you know, historically, if, if you look at secular history, Ephesus, especially nowadays, is a highly populated Muslim territory. There are no Christians in and around modern-day Ephesus in that part of Turkey. So, it seems like, to me, the church there did not repent of whatever it was Jesus said, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, it seems like Jesus was true on, on his promise. That because they didn't repent, they had their lampstand removed. And that church, you can't find it in Ephesus anymore. Not, not today. It, it just makes you wonder what... Makes you wonder what happened, but it also makes you wonder when you read the research. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but the research here in the United States is that 80% of the congregations of the Church of Christ will never make it to their 100 year anniversary. And 80% are going to fail mm-hmm. and not exist as a congregation. A hundred years from when they from when they were established. That's scary. Now, does that mean that the church isn't going to exist, or that God's oh. word is going to? No, no. But it's never a good thing when a church has to close their doors. It's not. I mean, the only the only thing that you can say there is. How do we prevent that from happening where I attend? How do we prevent that from happening in my county, in my state, in my nation? How do we keep that from happening? The key is in the letter to the church of Ephesus. How do you keep that from happening is to not fall into the sin that the church of Ephesus had fallen into. So let's... I think we better reveal that. Yes, let's back it up then and let's see what Ephesus was doing right and what they were doing wrong. Back in, in verse verse number two, Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evil people. I know that you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and that you have found them to be liars. I know that you've persevered, that you have endured hardships for the sake of my name, that you've not grown weary. If you skip to verse six, he says... You hate the practices of the, the Nicolaitans, which I, which I also hate. These uh, other false teachers that they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't listen to. They didn't give the time of the day. They, they pushed them out. But, verse number four, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. So, when we talk about a church that was threatened with closing their doors... Was it because their theology wasn't correct? Was it because that their doctrine wasn't correct? Is, is it because they, they didn't fully understand or recognize the, the, the Trinity? Was it because their preaching wasn't sound? What was it? It's all about that heart. Let's go back to Ephesians. In chapter 1, listen to what Paul, he's bragging. On this congregation yeah. for. 
Ephesians 1, 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in prayers. Man, they were known for being strong in their faith and their love. And now what's he telling them? You've lost that. They, and, and like I said, you know, they, it wasn't because they didn't have good enough uh, teachers of doctrine or theology, right? You go, go think about the historical leaders of the church of Ephesus, at least the ones that we can think of, right? The first one, of course, is Paul. On his missionary journey, he planted the church there. He spent time with those people. I think it's safe to say Paul was a good teacher and knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Who did Paul leave to care for the church in Ephesus? Mighty young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy. Who was Paul's young protege? Learned his directly son in the faith. His son in the faith. Yeah. Learned directly from from Paul himself. And wrote that young man two letters. To continue guiding him even after he was gone. Then after Timothy, who else ended up in Ephesus? John the Apostle. Before he was uh, sent into... Patmos. Yeah. Before he was sent to Patmos, he, he spent time in Ephesus as well. Do you think... Those three guys were, were all right teachers? Well, I'd have to say I'd sure love to sit at their feet and listen. It wasn't because they didn't know what they were talking about. It's because they didn't care for the people around them. Like they did originally, like they were originally taught to. And you wonder, that begs the question, when Paul addresses Ephesus, he's basically saying, this is what you're known for. This is not just me saying, this is what you're known for. For those of you who are members of the, of the Lord's body and, and you attend whatever congregation, what's your congregation known for in the community? What's Double Springs known for in the community? That's a question each one of us need to ask ourselves. And if the answer's not, that's a, that's a congregation that loves people and they want to help people and they want to see souls saved and people get to heaven, then we've got a problem. I'll share this with you. In, in, uh, I had an opportunity to go to Africa on mission trips. And in South Africa, this is the reputation of the Lord's body. I've heard this more than once. You're, you're members of the Church of Christ. You're the people that do what you say you will do. And what they're talking about when we come in and, and we ask them, you know, what kinds of needs, what, what could help, and, and they may ask for, a, a, we need fresh water, digging wells. And, you know, if we say that we're going to put a building there that anybody in the community can use or dig a well there and everybody is able to use it or we're going to have property there and you're welcome to plant your section of garden there so you can have fresh vegetables. It's yours to do that. And that's the reputation of the church there. You're the people that do what you say you will do. Is that the reputation of the Lord's body 
in your community, in this country. But also think about be the people who are going to do what you what you'll say you'll do. But also, what is it that your congregation says they're going to do? What 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 is your congregation's focus? What are you all most interested in? And you know, because the canned answer there is always going to be, well, we're interested in saving souls. Well, the follow-up question to that is, what are you doing to make sure that happens? What is your plan? What are your goals? I mean, what have you put in place? And honestly, many times what we find, Michael, is our plan is we're going to have the doors open on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We're going to offer worship services Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we'll have Bible class, and, and we'll offer an invitation on Wednesday night. But the rest of the week, many church buildings, doors are locked and the lights are off. Or maybe, you know, maybe there are uh, some folks, some of the large congregations, you have the staff that are there, the secretary, and maybe um, one of the ministers or a couple of the ministers. But they're there. What are they doing? And I'm not saying they're not doing the Lord's work. I know there's all kinds of planning things to be done. But what is that good? Is that doing that community? Again, in Africa, they build a building. The church, the body, invites the community. Hey, you're going to have a community event? Come use our facility. Mm. We, we need, uh, you know somebody that's, that is having a tough time? We've got a plot of land right here. We'll save for them and we'll give them seeds and we'll show them how to plant a garden so they can have fresh food. What do we do? Yeah. What, 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 do, you, what do you say you're going to do? What do you say you're interested in? And, and to your point, what, what are your goals and what are you doing to meet those goals? Now, there's a, there's a lot to be said about goals, too, because historically, and, and even, I mean, still very common today, you go to a congregation, and what are some of the things that when you're sitting in the pew, and you look to the front, that you expect to see? One of the first things that pops into my mind well, is uh, the scoreboard. Yeah. A lot of churches have taken that down. A lot of them have. Double Springs doesn't have one. Um, there's some churches that still have them up, but they don't. They just don't update them. Like they've just been sitting there for a while, which that's a whole other different problem in my mind. But yeah, a lot of churches have taken them down. But there's still a lot of the churches that that I've seen that I've visited that that still have them. And I think I think that we end up with as as the church, uh, we end up setting goals like, well, we want to have this many people in attendance for our worship services, both morning and evening. You know, we don't we want everybody to come back for evening services, and we want those numbers to be just as high, and and we want our contribution to be, you know whatever the, the number is. Um, 
that we want to have contributed. We want to see this, this number of baptisms uh, this year. And I think there was, there was a book I was reading that, about um, some of this, touched on church goals, and it said that we've become so focused on the ABCs, and that's attendance, buildings, and cash. But the problem with having those as your main goals is those are, are what they call lag metrics, right? Those are things that there's not really a lot that you can do to actively affect those numbers in the moment, right? You can't just go out on the street and drag people in and count those <laughs> as attendance numbers, right? You can't just steal money out of people's pockets to, so your contribution is as high as you think it should be. What instead is we need to change our focus from the scoreboard to and, and those lag metrics to lead metrics. And think about how are we how are we feeding the flock? How are we encouraging people to grow spiritually? What kind of fellowship opportunities are we offering to the members of our congregations? Because I'm telling you, if you will spend the time to invest in people and disciple them the way the New Testament sets forth as Jesus is our example of how to teach and disciple people, everything else will take care of itself. The love, if you will show people that you love them and that you care for them, and that you want them to be a part of this, of, of the kingdom of God, not just of your church, but of the kingdom of God, the rest will take care of itself. It will. You know, there's, we talked about goals, and they have their place. I, I absolutely understand that. Yeah. Um, and I advocate. You've you got to have a plan. Well, if, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're not... Uh, if you're not if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Every time. But when, when Jesus sent his disciples, he, he didn't say, okay, now each one of you needs to baptize this number or bring this number. It was, you go do. You go and you make go disciples. It. You go make disciples. He didn't say how many. You just go, everybody can meet. The, the plan is, take the word. Let the word do its job. And when it's done its job, then... You've made the disciples, then you can baptize them, and then you can say, hey, now I need to teach you because after I teach you how to be a disciple, now you need to go make more disciples. Mm -hmm. So the number was never there, and I think about Jesus' example. He told his disciples, he taught his disciples, he showed his disciples, he said, okay, now it's your turn, you go do it. You remember when he sent them out two by two? Yep. He'd already told them. He'd already showed them. He said, now you go, you go. do it. Yeah. And then, of course, I would love to know some of those stories that they brought back to him. Mm -hmm. You know, Of all the things they that did. They had done the and they, people they had met and, and the reactions that they've got. I would love to have heard that. Of course, the Bible couldn't contain all of the things that, that yeah. were said or done there. But he gave that perfect example. And then before he left, he said, okay. Let them all come to the church building. Isn't that what it says in Matthew 28? Yeah. Go. 
Go. And go maybe going next door to your, your next door neighbor. Go to or, work. Or work. It, it doesn't mean you have to go across the ocean, although there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I've heard folks say, you know, we will send missionaries across the ocean and right out the back door of the church building is a whole mission field that's never been explored. Yeah, you know how I feel about that. I, I, I'm an advocate for foreign mission trips. I will never discourage somebody from going on a foreign mission trip. I personally don't feel like that's my calling. Because, like you said, the world that I live in every single day is a mission field itself. It is. And I try, or I'm trying to be better at living my life with a missionary mindset all the time. If you're standing in line waiting for somebody to make your food, yeah, people may get annoyed but ask them, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Have you, uh, have you heard about Jesus? And people may think that's weird. That's okay. But that's okay. You know, one of the ones that's simple, most everyone that's listening to this podcast probably prays for the food, ask the food to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Why not just ask the waiter, whoever, hey, we're about to pray. Is there anything that we can pray for for you? Exactly. I think... You'd be amazed at what that can do. Even even for people that aren't religious, not Christians, I, I have heard accounts of just, I mean, how profound that is. That I don't, I don't know you. I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you know Jesus or not, but is there anything that I can pray for you for mm-hmm. and if not guess what I'm still going to pray for you anyway but that 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 makes an impact on people and it it may seem corny and it, it may come off as weird but it's it's really not you need to get over what people think mm-hmm. about it and and just do what God has called us to do more times than not you'll find that they're glad to tell you hey such and such is going on in my life. Would you just pray for that? And we've had some that would just, you know, they'd really open up. And they'd stay right there at the table and they'd grab your hand and while you prayed for them. Folks, prayer is powerful. Not only the power that you have to, to, to talk to the Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, the creator and sustainer of life, mm-hmm. the beginning and the end, I mean, he is the all in all everything. But what we don't think about is the design of prayer that came from that great creator and what it can do for us as we pray for one another beside each other. So we know we hear this person thinks enough of me to address God Almighty on my behalf they're taking their time to call me by name before him. That does a lot for that person. Now, we don't know what God's answer is going to be on that prayer. But what we do know is that person knows 
that, that person took time to pray with me and they were willing to go before God for me. You never know what doors of opportunity that may open. And it might not open any door right then, but who's to say that somewhere down the road, you know, that group came in and they prayed for me. Where, where did they go? Where did they, oh, I remember they left that card or they, they, yep. and then they come and buddy, when they come, you better be ready to be the same way. You better be glad to see them. You better make sure they don't sit by themselves that they know that they are welcome there and wanted there and that if they choose to be a part of the body there that they will be cared for like part of the body there and i think that's that's a beautiful way to kind of bring this back and the give the message really that we want everybody to take today you you can have sound theology you can teach the right doctrine. You can say all the right things. You can look the part. But if you abandon the love for people, as Paul says, I can have every spiritual gift under the sun. I can do all these things. I can prophesy. I can heal. I can do all these things. But if I don't love people, if I don't have love, then it's, it's a waste of time. You don't have anything if you don't have love. And quite bluntly, you can't love God if you don't love your brothers. It just doesn't work that way. So I, I encourage everyone who's listening, every, every individual Christian, to think about the love for Christ that you once had. Think about when you became a Christian and the love that you had for people, the care that you had for lost souls, and go back to that love. If you've abandoned it, recover it, and be that person again. Set your soul on fire for Christ. Set your soul on fire for people. Because Christ said, as often as you've done to the least of these, you've done for me. Absolutely. Take that as an individual and spread and shine that light in your congregation so that we don't have churches ending up like the church of Ephesus having their lampstand removed. Absolutely. Neil, do you want to close us with a word of prayer? Certainly. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to look into your word that we have it to be able to learn how to better serve you. But in doing so, may we remember that our Savior came not to be served, but to serve. And that's our responsibility to serve those around us, to show our love to those around us. That through that love, you may receive the glory in all. That those good works will bring glory to you and provide opportunities for us to teach others about Christ, to further that love even, even greater than it is. Lord, we pray that as individuals and as congregations that we never lose that first love, understanding that the great love that He has, that He gave His life for us, and that we're to love one another as He loved us. 
It's a tall order for us as humans, Lord, and we know we fail many times, but I pray that we'll understand that it's our responsibility as members individually of one body to help one another. As the Hebrew writer says, to spur one another or stir one another up to good works. May we always be willing and ready and able to help one another do those things that would show the love of your body, of us as individuals, to our community, wherever we may be. Lord, help us to become the people that are known for the ones that will do what they say they will do. Let us be known as the people that truly love one another and love their community and love people in general and want to help and see lost souls saved. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in every avenue, your heavenly wisdom, that we always recognize an opportunity and address that opportunity by speaking the truth in love that we might in some way help others see the glorious promise of eternal life with you if we'll but follow our Lord and Savior. For it's in Him we pray. Amen. Amen.